Hey everyone, my name is Chris Posty Posterson, and I am back with another Super Deluxe Special Edition episode of the Sleep With Me podcast. Just in case you haven't heard one of these before, I am usually behind the scenes helping Scooter with some of the editing of the podcast, but every once in a while he asks me to take a show that we've recently aired, add some music, add some sound to it, in order to make it a Super Deluxe Special Edition show. We do all that as a way to say thank you to those of you who are supporting the show, If you are currently supporting Sleep With Me on Patreon, thank you so, so much. I know that Scooter works so hard on this show, uh, so your support helps him to do that, helps him hire me to help him with the editing, and it helps some people who need to get some sleep uh, get some much-needed rest. So thank you so much for your support. If you are not currently supporting the show but you get value out of it, you can go to sleepwithmepodcast.com slash patron. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month to help this show continue to get made. All right, thanks so much, guys. This is Super Deluxe episode number 19, I think. Uh, so let's get into it. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Wondering what it would be like to sit by a bonfire with Scooter as he tells you a bedtime story from underneath a cozy blanket? Well, welcome! This is Super Deluxe Special Edition episode number 19 of the Sleep With Me podcast. For tonight's show, uh, I realized, as going back through some of the older Special Edition shows to see what you know we've done and what we haven't done yet, and I realized that we never just did a kind of cozy sit-by-the-fire bedtime story show. Uh, so for this week's special edition episode, I took a, a super dull story that aired a little while ago. Uh, it's a story from Scooter's childhood, and um, he tells that story from underneath a really cozy, cozy blanket pulled over his head. You'll hear he's a little bit muffled because he's hiding under the blanket, uh, while sitting by a really cozy fireplace uh, with some soft acoustic guitar music to lull you into a comfortable sleep. I know that Scooter has listeners from all around the world, but where I live here in Newfoundland, it is very cold outside here. We're in the dead of winter. So tonight's show, get very cozy, rest your eyes, and I hope this can help you get some sleep. Good night. here in this wonderful uh, uh, facility deep, deep, deep within the earth. It's so impressive. Uh, and I'm so proud to uh, speak to all of you who are gathered together here. And I'd like to tell you a story. Uh, it's from my childhood. It might be a familiar tale. It was told to me uh, before it became my story. It, it was told to me as a story. Uh, when I was just a boy, and I've often wondered, you know, why they tell children such tales as these. 
uh, for stories like this to the precocious little ones seems to stir their curiosity instead of their caution. As most of you know, my parents were engineers, and they were both working on the rebuilding of uh, the waterways in New California. And as a child, their love of water rubbed off on me. I remember being in those canals, and my mind couldn't comprehend we were in the hot, hot valley, and I'd be swimming and diving while mother and father worked, or we picnicked, and my father would explain to me that this was the same water that we'd seen months earlier up in the mountains. It once was snow that fell from the heavens. And he explained to me, you know, the mechanics of snow melt, and then, you know, my mind would more drift away uh, to, to one of my favorite activities when we would be up in the mountains. We lived at the top of this hill. And as the spring would start to come, or during a winter warming streak, as the giant mounds of snow would start to melt and run down the streets, I would design my own canals of snow and sticks and mud, and I would try to manage my own waterways and, and stop the flow of the water, change the flow of the water, and watch it wear away the snow and reinforce the snow and deal with the persistent flow. Sometimes I would try to resist it and sometimes, you know, I'd just make it for my G.I. Joe's. Those were an old toy when I was a boy. Uh, and it wouldn't understand, but it maybe it would. But I would have them make them little boats just to flow down my snow-made canals. And father and mother would come out and, and they would have a laugh because they'd be soaked through my little snowsuit catching the cold, unaware, uh, you know, that I was sopping wet, you know, it seemed warm, it was, it was cold. Like many of you and like my parents, I found water fascinating. Everything about it was both known and simple, but also this mystery. And it brought me so much, you know, these memories I talked to, even the memory itself it may be water-based. If, if you catch my drift, pardon my pun, excuse me, that was true. But as many of you know and many of you experience what happened in, in New California, I, as a boy, moved, it was relocated to live with family in the Netherlands. And I didn't know them. And at first, I just—it was a lot for a child to deal with, as all of us know. But I moved to this small town on the river I would call the Muse River, and it drove my uncle. Well, my kids still didn't understand. They said, "You're not my father. Why are you my uncle?" But anyway. I always persisted, insisted in calling it the Muse River. 
And this was one of these old, nearly ancient villages, right on the side of the river, protected from the river by an, a, a dike just as old, you know, as the, as the, as the town itself. Uh, deep within the wall that protected the town from the river, you know, was the old riverbank itself. Uh, and while this old dike had been reinforced, it had never been modernized. It stood strong for 500 years, never failing this town, keeping the muse at bay. Uh, storms and floods, and, and there was other river systems, you know, to, to try to control the flow of the Meuse. But this was one of the rare spots uh, that the, the, the levee always held, and it captivated me. There was this riverside path, and uh, you know, I had a lot to think about at those times, or a lot of thoughts to escape. And I was in this new place with this new family, and so I would walk that path, and I would look at the news, and my mind would be boggled because my eyes were at the same level as the water. And it, it still barely made sense to me that this wall, the entire river, was held by this wall and guided it, and it, it, structurally it made sense to me. I don't know, there's just something about it being at eye level and just feet away. I found it captivating and I found myself just staring at the water, thinking about this, this slow, massive, silent power that going by. And then thinking that this, this earthen-made thing was, it was helping control it and had for so long that it had held all this power at bay and, and maybe I thought about it a little bit too much uh, because even though I was old enough to probably know better that childhood story that kept creeping back into my mind and picturing you know a, a little hole and, and a little boy or the little girl plugging the hole with the finger and just wonder it just couldn't get it out of my mind and I would stare eye level at the muse and my mind would wander back to my childhood and that story and as I said I was a precocious curious child I don't think you could analyze me and wonder what my motivation was was it pure precociousness and curiousness or something something else, something more shadow I, I, I don't I, I've thought about it many times I don't feel like it was but I'm sure you could imagine what happened next because it was calling to me and one morning I went into my uncle's workshop and I found one of those old fashioned drills, the ones with the U-joint, the hand-powered drill where you hold your palm on one end and you move your hand in that circular motion to make the drill go. And this was, I think this was a bung drill uh, for my uncle, as I called him, was a cooper. 
As I moved that drill in my hand around and around, and I thought about the cartoons I had seen as a child, and the story I'd been told about the child, and I thought about the wall, and I thought about the water, and I thought about the river muse. And I walked down to that path, right on the edge of town. And I quickly looked around and I began to drill. And as I drilled and saw the wall disintegrate under the... This was quite a nice bit my uncle had. I started to drill more and more furiously. I started to feel some power, some compulsion to keep going. Nothing in my mind thought of anything else. I was consumed with drilling this hole until it popped and the drill bit went through and the wall gave way. And I paused for a second and I pulled the drill out. And at first nothing happened. And I think the river in time must have paused in disbelief for 500 years this river had been probing this wall and just following and flowing where it could go and the river must have sat there and said this can't be right uh, but then the river must have realized that this wall that had so long prevented its escape now had a new hole to explore. And at first it was just a little bit of water, but quickly it became a flow and then a spray. And for a moment I was frozen. Maybe I was in awe. Maybe I had taken on some godlike power, some demigod power. And then I, I started to panic and I threw the drill into a bush that wasn't far away. And I thought for a second that Jesus, if, if this was some Roman or Greek god, they could just undo the deed, but I could not. And I pushed my hand against the hole, uh, hoping to stop the flow. And a woman came by, right when I was in my initial panic, pushing my hand and, and seeing if it was going to hold. And my heart was beating, my mind was racing. And I told her what I had done. And she gave me a curious look, uh, maybe she was wondering if, if I was telling the truth, she couldn't comprehend the boy drilling a hole in this ancient wall. And then she hurried off and she said she was going to fetch help. And after she left, it felt like hours went by, I was standing there and, and, and my social survival instincts started to kick in, I said, yeah, I knew I'd be in trouble, and I wonder, should I, what should I do? Should I run? Should I, should I leave the hole? What, 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 what would happen? And I even took my hand away for a second, and the water started to spray harder, and I saw a little tiny piece of the wall spray out, and I put my hand back down. And I knew the consequence of my action. I was stuck. And now, whatever I had done, the water started to seep out past my palm. It was no longer, you know, I really started to, to get worried. I said, what am I going to do? 
I knew I would have to calm myself, so I started just watching looking at the clouds in the sky reflected in me, watching occasionally float by. And then it started to lightly rain, and I watched the raindrops, and I soon forgot about time, so I'm not sure how long passed as I watched these drops patter and drip. Again, I became, you know, I fell under the influence of this muse, and I did ponder for a quick second. But it's, you know, what are you doing to me? But then the raindrops uh, seem to soothe my mind. And, and I'm looking back at it, all of us have been in a relationship, and you could say, huh, what was that river up to? What was the water in the sky up to? Was it dripped and dropped? And it didn't make me forget about my grip on the hole. Uh, but it, uh, it, 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 it did feel very good. Huh. But it was so soothing. And the sound of the dripping, everything became garlic. I just watched and I noticed the colors of the river changed. As the sky grew darker, as the wind picked up on its surface, uh, scattering the little tiny impact waves of the raindrops. And then I heard a man yelling in the distance, and I looked over my shoulder, and diving down the hill, from town, uh, that rose up behind the town. With an older gentleman carrying like a pump, a water pump, you know, with an extendable hose, a hand pump. And he was waving to me, and he had a kind look on his face. Uh, I realized he, he was a man that my uncle did not see. So I think my uncle called him the town coach. And he told me not to worry. And I said, we could get there. You know, we had a little conversation. He said, what would happen? I said, well, I found the soul in the wall. He said, it must be a weak spot. And I said, it must have been a weak spot. You're right. I put my hand over it. And the water's leaking out. It had puddled at my feet, but it had not just grown to a size that had me worried yet. And he said, I'm not sure what to do. Uh, someone was going for help. And he said, that was my wife. She sent me down here to try and help you. And I guess there was a part of me with that social survival instinct, waiting and watching his face. And it just seemed too kind. And I wondered what his wife had told him. And he said, well, I've got an idea to fix this. And I said, great. He said, well, we'll just pump the water back into the river. And he was showing me how the pump worked. And it was very simple terms with the pump. And he said, you just stick it here, and then we'll pump it there, and we'll throw the hose over into the river. And we'll pump the river back into the river, just like a circle. And I took a breath, and... I knew that was impossible. I mean, for a second, I said they couldn't be that easy, could it? 
and I quickly realized, I said, that's not possible. And he said, no, 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 it's a vacuum. We'll just keep pumping and pumping. And I said, no, no, we can't patent we will never get a seal we can we won't be able to pump fast enough and I tried to show him how the water was slowly leaking around my palms and I said see see even I hear and then he was at he said what does it feel like having the whole river pressing against your hand I said well I believe it or not said he said I'm pressing very hard to try to get the seal but I said I don't think the, the, I said it's a strange a strange uh, not that hard but I said, the water's leaking out the sides of my hand. If we put the bump there, there's no way. He didn't, I said, you see my flesh can press up against the rock and the stone a little bit harder. And then he explained to me that it wasn't rock. It was the hardened clay covered in some, you know, little layer of concrete or something. And I said, real, I said, hardened clay. And I said, I have an idea then. I have an idea. They thought about the seal. He said, "If there's just clay just under there," he said, "Oh yeah, this is just this little little bit of uh, you know spray, concrete spray. You know, for the tourists used to try to take little pieces of the wall." He laughed. Americans just like you, or they'd carve. And I said, "Okay, if that's enough with the political commentary, I have an idea for a vacuum seal." And he said, what do I do? And I said, well, you, you're going to pump You're going to pump the water out of the hole that my hand's on and the air out. He didn't really understand. He said, we'll make a vacuum seal. And he, he smiled. And, he, and, then I, and then I thought for a second. I said, what did your wife tell When your wife ran up, what, you really came. You're really here to help what did your wife tell you? And she said, a boy found a hole in the wall and he's plugging it. Get down there and help him. I breathed. And for the first time I felt, I said, well, we could fix this. We could fix the hole. And I think I'm safe. Uh, no one knows. Uh, and I said, climb onto the wall. And then finally I figured, I said, just, then you just, it's the same plan, but almost reverse. And then it'll suction my hand to the hole. And then he asked me, and I said, I don't know what'll happen. I think it'll be fine. And if it starts to not be fine, I'll tell you with every slow pump. And so he climbed up on the wall and he lowered his pump in the water. And then we, you know, it took a while for him to get a seal on the other side of the hole, but the other side was all the clay, so he finally figured out how to get a good seal. And then he started slowly pumping, and you know, the wall was only as wide as my arm. Two or three feet, four feet, I don't know, you know, two feet. And so quickly I felt the air suck through the tiny, tiny holes where the water was leaking out and my hand started to suction up against the hole. And then we ran some tests. I said, stop, and, and then let's see. And then we had an airtight seal, and then occasionally we would just have to pump the air back out and reseal my hand on there. And he even managed to angle the pump in a way that I could reach it, because he said, well, geez, I'll have to get more help. And, you know, my wife's home with the children. So I said, okay, go get more help. And 
And there I stood with occasionally pumping and, and you might wonder what it felt like and it didn't. It, at first it burned a little bit uh, while it was pulled, but pretty soon, you know, the rain increased and again the muse distracted me for just a minute. For not long after that, uh, this man came back and uh, villager after villager followed him. And as the showers uh, started to rain down on the river, the attention of the village started to shower on me. And at first it was questions, and then it was kindness. Uh, it seems I said, well, there's just I found this whole hole in the wall. And he stuck my hand on it, and then I explained the system. And they said they had sent word to the county engineers, uh, you know, the people were on it and people, you know, people were trying to figure out a solution. And, but a lot of the, the, the working age people weren't in town, you know, because of the, because of the time period of this, when I was a boy. But they said not to worry, I can hold the hole and, and people they were so pleased and happy. Their eyes were so warm. And the relief I felt when I saw in their faces that no one knew what I had done. No one knew about the hole I had drilled. Uh, that was sweet relief and they put blankets around me and they fed me soup and soon they were constructing a shelter around me for the rain. Warm tea and brandy. And as the evening came, they built a fire and people said, and I said, no, 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 we can't leave my hand, I'm fine, I'm fine. Even, you know, little blankets that I could hide myself when I had to, when I had too much tea, you know, I had to relieve my system of tea. But there was also kisses, uh, some kisses that were on my forehead, and some kisses were on my cheeks. And a few kisses were on my lips. And those kept me warm. For not long after that, the storm really started to increase. And people tried to stay, stay with me as the wind picked up. And, you know, I said, so go home knowing I'm fine. I had plenty of blankets and jackets. And I was warm. The wind started to whip and the rain started to fall and the music started to flow. And occasionally I would have to pump a little bit harder or another another young village boy or girl would be there to pump for me. To keep my hand in place, to keep the river at bay. As the rain increased more and more and then people came back with reports of flooding down the river and flooding up the river. And that we needed to figure something else out because that, you know, we said if the hole, if you can hold the hole, you know, and my arm, you know, got tired, of, you know, I had to place the stiff and it was at the right level. Um, but the burning had stopped uh, and I told everyone not to worry, you know, and, and then even when night came, and I fell in and out of sleep as children kept watch over me and watch over the pump. And my hand was sealed there, so it wasn't like it was going to fall off. Though it seemed to have this heroic halo about it that I was somehow 
keeping my hand sucked in down there. As long as you were pumping, if the pump occasionally, it kept the vacuum sealed. But not long into the next day, around 10 or 11, the storm started to wane. And I sort of just watched as the debris from upriver was flowing and flowing by. You know, garbage and uh, old trees and leaves. And then now the muse was even above my eye line, flowing above me as I held her at a distance. I mean, technically I was in a, just a blockade, blockage, but but then the sun came out, it was a warm, warm sun, and the village started to come out, and along the grass on the side of the river pass, they started to picnic and bring me food, and people were playing music and playing games and laughing and taking time to stop and pat me, rub my arm. And for a while I forgot it, it, uh, it was in the trance of the attention and the trance of the river, and I had forgotten. And that's when a little boy yelled out, Mama, Mama, look what I found here. Mama, Mama, I found a drill. And he pulled the drill out of the bush. And at first his mother, you know, waved his head, but then... One of the older gentlemen said, let me have a look at this, and it didn't take long. I watched it all unfold, almost like waves on a shoreline. And I, I longed for someone to just brush it off, but they, they figured out it was my uncle's drill, and that it was too new to have been in the bush for long, and that it was too valuable to be lost. And then the whispering started and the looking at me. People, and people started to gather up their picnic baskets and their children. And they started to leave. And some people took the time to tell me how they felt or what they thought. And of course, right around then was when the woman who lived up on the hill, whose husband had brought the pump, came down and quickly confirmed what everyone had started to suspect, that I drilled the hole in the wall, that I was the one responsible, you know, that I had put the town, you know, the whole nine yards, or whatever they would say there, that I was only holding the music bay because of my own folly, and, you know, and because I was from the, out of town and because of the, just of the events of the time, people were very, very upset with me, understandably, understandably. And so the treats were gone and the kisses were gone and soon the villagers were gone. And they said, you could wait for the engineers to come. And you know, many other things were said. In you know, at first I had that feeling you have when you get caught. And, uh, you know, that red around the face feeling. And that combination of uh, resistance 
I guess they saw that, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 put it into words or to, to let it all go. And, and But everyone quickly left and I turned my attention back to the muse. I returned my attention to the muse and I watched it slow again. And I watched as the rain picked up and pattered and pattered and... Uh, I almost felt a connection, like a flow between the river and my hand, with each beating of my heart. And then I started to get hungry, and I started to overthink things, and think about the villagers, and then I started to think about taking my hand off uh, for a bit. Uh, but I looked back at the river, and, and then I knew and I thought about, you know, how long would I have to wait and, you know, how, who did they think they were and I would have to stay here and pump and how long did they think I could pump and keep the steel. And I thought about taking my hand off and, and letting, you know, letting the whole village wash away. And I knew it wouldn't have, it would take time. And the storm picked up again. I thought about my hand, uh, you know, because at times it was cold in the, cold in the room, but I, you know, would bring, I had to move right wing against it and keep it warm. And then my attention again turned to the river. And it was just loud for a dark, dark gray, almost black, and you know, the color of the river had changed, even with the mud stirred up, and now the dark sky. It's like a giant cauldron. And you know, I just watched it and I imagined things and I saw dreams and I think it was hypnotized for a time. And then my thoughts cauldroned again and you know, I thought about how, you know, what do I, you know, to hold the base and turn the base of staying versus going, right versus wrong, right within me. Like the river, the muse raged outside of me. But then something happened again with the rain, and it flowed to that same point earlier, where in between each drip drop of rain was the silence. And the silence was long. And the drops had enough waves that it started to, you know, when it would impact, it would have been a heavy, heavy drop. I started to watch the leaves and they would ride over the motion after the drop, the little wave going out in concentric circles. And I started to watch them more and more and think about the, how I used to build those canals in the snow, how the leaves would flow down in the water. And they started to think about all the debris flowing by. And, and then I had another idea. And I used the stool they had left me and I climbed up on the stool. So my hand was stretched down. But I got my shoulder up on the wall. And I threw one leg up on the wall. Over the wall. My toes were in the water. And, you know, I was very splayed out on this wall. 
And I looked at the pump and I saw that debris had gathered around the, the upstream portion. The leaves and sticks and small pieces of trash. And I watched the raindrops and, and then I had an, I, 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 I was struck by a solution. In between those drops, I got some hope and I knew that I wouldn't have to hold this hole forever and that I could fix what I had done. Couldn't undo what I had done, but I could fix it. And I started reaching in and, and I started reaching in the river and pulling out handfuls of leaves and little sticks and breaking the sticks with one hand against the top of the wall. And really stretching, I could feel the vacuum on my hand. And gathering up some plastic bags and some old paper. And I started to make a plug. And I started to mush and mash and squish and squash. And roll. And I said, well, maybe. And then I, I said, well, this could be the outside plug. And then I made little cigars or cigarillos of leaves and paper and I even grabbed the tarp they had left to keep me dry and I knew I would get out of this situation and as all of you know you wouldn't be here if you weren't familiar with what I did next was I plugged that hole that was a temporary plug but it was a very effective plug you know, for the flow, once I, once I got everything in the hole, the, the pressure of the river itself kept the, uh, the hole and the plug in place. And for a time, you couldn't tell if there was anything coming out because of the, the rain was still slowly waning away. And I stood there. And you know, on the the, the, the the land side, there was still a, a little bit of a hole there. You could stick your finger in and you could touch uh, everything that I jammed in through the riverside. But then the rain finally died down. And I started to think about, and then I started to think about my clothes. I said, I didn't know if my clothes, but it, and I started ripping off more things and plugging it even further, maybe overdoing it. But then the rain stopped and I noticed, you know, almost no water was coming through, just a tiny, tiny flow, barely a trickle. And it wasn't long after that that down the path came two engineers from the county or the, I don't know, and they knew what happened. And one of them took me aside and put his arm around me and he had a big smile on his face. He told me that he had, you know, the same, that this was, a, you know, that I must be an engineer. And actually, he had heard that he must have known my uncle, that my parents were engineers. And his partner was explaining to him the, the, the plug I had created. And then he explained to me what they were going to do to fix it. And that wasn't really that different. And that what I had done 
it was a terrible idea, but that in a town with a levy within every child that might be an engineer is that curiosity and that urge to probe. And you told me it would be okay. Uh, and, and, it, and, it, and it kind of was. I, he decided that this, uh, this uh, it didn't, didn't work out in this town. But I knew that this engineer was right about me, and I, I'm sure that as I speak to all of you, I see a lot of heads nodding. What's brought us here today, it, it, you know, we're all gathered here because we share a mission now to keep something much larger at bay. And, you know, we will do our jobs. I'm proud to be uh, heading up this project. And I know that we will do our jobs to probe the sea as the sea probes us. And that is why we will succeed at keeping it at bay. And together we'll stay curious. And we'll stay precocious. And we'll stay vigilant. And if needed, we'll stay the whole night. Uh, and yes, we weren't, you know, we could say, ooh, where the, where, what caused all of this water? But we, we won't place blame. We will do our duties. So I'm, I'm proud to be working with all of you. And I hope that story is re relatable because it's real. I hope I didn't reveal too much of myself to all of you, but I'm happy to be your director, and I wish you all a good day.